It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Steve Ducey. I'm Dana Perino. I'm Tyrus. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The White House is dealing with new questions about the business dealings of the son of the president, Hunter Biden, now that the New York Times has cited the veracity of emails found on an abandoned laptop. When we shut down stories in this country and try to portray them as a obsession of the other side, and both sides sometimes play this game, I think that makes lots of average people go, you know what? There's so much partisanship in the media that I don't know who to believe. I'm Dave Anthony. He was badly injured reporting in Ukraine. And today you'll learn how Fox News correspondent Benjamin Hall was rescued from the war zone. Ben was gravely injured and moving him was a very difficult decision that was weighed considerably because, of course, where he was was not a safe environment for him to remain. And I'm Katie McFarland. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. Last week, the New York Times published an article about the legal issues the president's son, Hunter, is dealing with, citing a broad investigation by the Justice Department to include possible violations of foreign lobbying and money laundering rules, as well as whether or not Hunter should have registered as a foreign agent with the Justice Department. And then in this article, the New York Times mentions the laptop, which Fox had reported on before the 2020 election. There are serious questions for Joe Biden this evening following the publication of emails allegedly belonging to his son, Hunter. The reporting lays out purported emails between Hunter Biden and a Ukrainian businessman. To acknowledge what's happening on the laptop acknowledges the other stuff on the laptop. The laptop came under scrutiny before the election after the New York Post reported on its existence and had come across it through then-President Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani. It had been left at a repair shop and not picked up. Among the items contained were emails. The New York Post said they provided information about Hunter's international business dealings, and the New York Times said one email outlined Hunter's vision for his work with a Ukrainian energy company called Burisma, even mentioning a need to be careful to abide by foreign agent rules. But back in 2020, most media outlets would not touch the story. And while many aren't necessarily now, White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki fended off questions about it last week. I pointed to the Department of Justice and Hunter Biden's representatives. Um, I'm a spokesperson for the United States. He doesn't work for the United States. But despite the new question, some of the focus on the story now is less on what Hunter Biden was up to and more on what the media has been up to. My first reaction was that why wasn't everybody else now covering this? Howie Kurtz is the host of Media Buzz on Fox News. None of the other cable networks or broadcast networks, even though the New York Times, which is so uh, religiously foul in almost every story, certainly any story having to do with anything negative about Donald Trump, suddenly just silence crickets. And it is almost as if the same instincts not to jump on this story back in the closing weeks of the 2020 campaign when the New York Post first reported it, uh, hadn't gone away, even though we're talking here about, according to the Times, the president's son under active federal investigation for possible tax fraud violations, for possible lobbying violations, for possible money laundering violations. Now, he may not get indicted. It's been three years and no charges have been brought and he is denying wrongdoing. But how on what planet is this not a story? 
Yeah, there have since been articles with very damning headlines. A Wall Street Journal op-ed, as you know, said the failure to report this amounted to an, an American accountability crisis. A former congressman from Georgia said journalism died with this story or lack of this story. Um, is, is that fair? Is, that, is it fair to, to characterize the lack of reporting on this as so dire? Well, I hope journalism still has a pulse, at least. But I understand probably better than ever why so many people on the right, conservatives, Republicans, feel like they don't get a fair shake from the mainstream media. Because if you go back, it's not just that many news organizations uh, declined to jump on these Hunter Biden laptop allegations. It was uh, big tech. It was that Twitter blocked people from sharing the story as for a time suspended the New York Post account. Facebook limited the distribution. You had the managing editor of NPR saying, we don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories. It was mocked. It was minimized. It was played down, not by everybody, but for by much of the media. It was dismissed as Russian disinformation. So now, you know, a year and a half later, when you have The New York Times saying, yeah, you know, we've looked into it and it's all kind of true. Not the allegations themselves. We don't know about that. But the fact that these emails are real, that there was a laptop, that there is an active uh, U.S. attorney's investigation of the president's son. It still is being played down to a degree that is frankly difficult to understand. The Washington Post, as you know, has written a piece explaining why they were hesitant initially, citing Russian interference in the 2016 election connected to a WikiLeaks hack of the DNC. When you read that article, what did you make of this explanation? Was it sufficient enough to hold back on this story before an election? You know, not really. Um, I certainly understand the need for caution. And when, I, you know, something like 50 uh, former uh, intelligence officials came out and signed a letter, Politico and others covered this, saying, we think this is Russian disinformation. First of all, they didn't have any firsthand knowledge. But, you know, it was the end of an election. There was obviously a big attempt on the right to tie Hunter Biden uh, to his father and what his father may or may not have done when Joe Biden was vice president. So I never thought that this by itself was going to turn the election because it was about Trump and COVID and the economy and much bigger picture issues. But I think when now it's like, well, we didn't do it because of this and we didn't do it because of that. Well, many of these organizations still aren't doing it. And I think it smacks of self-justification. The media's well-known refusal to admit a mistake as opposed to coming out and saying, you know what? We made a mistake. We're sorry. But you don't see the media saying that. The New York Times acknowledged the laptop in the middle of an article about Hunter's current legal troubles that, like you said, there's a DOJ investigation regarding his business dealings. And um, the New York Times article begins by talking about a, a tax liability Hunter's paid off and how that complicates the investigation. Does the backdrop of an official investigation and now this corroboration of some of these emails mean it's much easier to talk about? Well, let's just imagine it was Donald Trump Jr. You think you'd see this great hesitation among uh, the biggest news organizations in America to not jump on the story. And I think, look, that was a very revealing paragraph. Hunter Biden concerned about how his tax problems would look. And remember, he worked for the Ukrainian energy giant Burisma. He worked for a Chinese energy conglomerate. They weren't hiring him because he knew anything about energy. They were hiring him because he was the vice president's son and they thought they could get some kind of connection to the White House. The fact that he has acknowledged to associates, according to The Times, taking out a loan to repay more than $1 million in back taxes. Well, you don't do that if you think you're innocent. You do do that 
if you think you might one day be uh, standing in front of a jury and you want to mm-hmm. say, well, look, I ultimately belatedly did the right thing. That paragraph alone, I think, would be worthy of media coverage. And I don't say this because, you know, I want to uh, prop this story up or give it more attention than it's worth. But it's certainly worth more attention than it's getting from most of the media right now. Yeah, in terms of the content, you just you just referenced some of it. You know, we know at least like one of the emails on the laptop had to do with Burisma, Hunter Biden on the board of that company in Ukraine, that energy company. It sounds like he had introduced one of the executives there to his father, who was the vice president at the time. And this executive, according to The New York Post, had written an email asking Hunter how he could use his influence. And as we later now know, that same company that was being investigated by Ukraine's top prosecutor, you know, Biden had said that he needed to be fired if Ukraine wanted certain aid money. When you hear these kinds of things, these sort of international dealings and the connections then to the vice president at the time, who is now the president, obviously, how important is it to know more, to find more of those emails, to delve into this story deeper? Well, first of all, Vice President Biden's insistence that the Ukrainian prosecutor be fired was quite public. He bragged about it because the Obama administration thought that there was a lot of corruption in Ukraine. Nobody's ever proven that Joe Biden got a dime out of any of this. But, you know, here's the larger picture. Hunter Biden is a sad character. He was for many years a drug addict. He's written a book about this. He's acknowledged it. Uh, What he did, even though it is fairly common, among relatives of members of Congress, executive branch officials and other movers and shakers here in D.C., um, was to peddle influence. You know, he was hired because he had the last name Biden and these companies thought that would provide an in. That doesn't mean he committed a criminal offense. But when you add all this up and you're saying, what is the news value here? We're talking about the son of the president of the United States. Clearly, it has a lot more news value than many organizations at the time or even now seem willing to acknowledge, and that lends credence to those who believe, fairly unfairly, that Joe Biden, as a Democratic president, gets treated differently for his family problems than did Donald Trump or other uh, past Republican presidents. Now, I know we have many more intelligence officials in our country than 51, but 51 of them did, as you noted, sign that letter saying, you know, this story about this laptop has all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. What role do you think that letter played and how much do you think that kind of thing undermines trust um, in the intelligence community or, or in the people reporting on the intelligence community, for that matter? Yeah, that, that's a very fair question. I remember thinking at the time, well, a lot of them probably former Democrats, and that they didn't know. It has all the hallmarks is not evidence. You're speculating. Now, the Russians are certainly capable of it. We learned that in 2016. But that doesn't mean in this instance it was Disinformation. In fact, we now know, thanks to the Times' reporting and, and that by others, that this laptop was real, that Hunter apparently left it at this Delaware repair shop, that it has emails on it that certainly raise questions. So um, I, I'm just always wary when experts say, the last story is experts mm-hmm. say this, that, or the other thing is true, because sometimes they're just wrong. Howie, um, if the GP wins in midterms this fall, we've already heard talk of what they would like to do in terms of investigations and panels and inquiries. Would you anticipate that if Republicans take the House and or Senate that we will hear and see more about this story and about this laptop and about the, the business dealings of Hunter Biden? Absolutely, positively, no question about it. And look, when uh, one party controls at least one house, uh, they often use that. The Democrats have done this as well. 
uh, to investigate the party controlling the White House. And if it's somebody, usually somebody who may be the president appointed or is close to the president when it's a family member, although it does raise certain sensitivities, um, you can be sure that not only will we hear a lot more, that there will be subpoenas. Uh, you know, we're seeing the flip side of that with the Democratic controlled January 6th committee, a very important topic to investigate, but Republicans can complain it's being done in a partisan way. So it's very likely after these midterms that Republicans will control at least one chamber of Congress. And I think that the hearings won't be far behind. Howie, finally, I just want your sort of broad take on trust in the media and how polarized it's it's gotten I, we've even seen since then um the the articles that do discuss the laptop have have said you know the far right was very concerned with this laptop the far right was you know was was focused on this and i'm just wondering when we characterize you know media in those terms far right and far left media um is that part of what undermines the trust or what, what's sort of your broad takeaway from this story in 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 connection to the public's trust in the media? What the mainstream media tried to do and what Twitter in particular tried to do was to paint this as just some sort of obsession of right-wing media. What the New York Times story clearly demonstrates, and I give the Times credit, by the way, it was a well-reported story with a lot of new details. Uh, why it came out now, I'm not really clear, um, was to show that this isn't just some conservative fantasy, that there's a real story here. The same thing had came up with the Wuhan lab leak theory. And then the Wall Street Journal and other reporting led to people to say, well, you know, it could be a possibility that when we shut down stories in this country and try to portray them as a obsession of the other side and both sides sometimes play this game. I think that makes lots of average people go, you know what? There's so much partisanship in the media that I don't know who to believe or I'm just going to watch uh, or read the outlets. Uh, that agree with me. And I don't think that's healthy for America. Howie Kurtz, thank you so much for your time. Happy to be with you. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. This is KT McFarland with your Fox News commentary coming up. 
Russia has been bombarding Ukraine for almost a month now. President Volodymyr Zelensky, in an appeal for help, told Italy's parliament... The air bombs keep killing Ukrainian people, and some cities like Mariupol are fully destroyed. Many civilians are among the casualties. So are journalists. Last week, a Fox News crew came under attack in a village outside the capital, Kiev. Fox cameraman Pierre Jakshevsky was killed. So was journalist Sasha Kushniova, who was working as a consultant for Fox. Correspondent Benjamin Hall was badly injured, now being treated at a U.S. military hospital in Germany. Unfortunately, as I think you all know, we're, we're all too familiar with these kinds of injuries. Yeah. Uh, and we've built up uh, an expertise in how to treat uh, the, the kinds of injuries that Mr. Hall had. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby told Fox and Friends. It was our honor to be able to help. And again, we, uh, we just want to see him get home safe and sound and get back to his family. But it wasn't the U.S. military that rescued Benjamin Hall. It was a group called Save Our Allies. We have this great partnership with Fox, and we've all been through a lot together. Sarah Verado is a co-founder of Save Our Allies. And so uh, many of the Fox members knew that our team was on the ground in Ukraine. And when this horrific attack happened, we were contacted to see if we could assess the situation with Benji and potentially locate Pierre and Sasha. And so our team, they took what would typically be a multi-month process of just planning alone. And within hours, they engaged a multinational effort that ultimately, not only did they get and were able to extract Benjamin from behind enemy lines in Ukraine, but then they were able to rely on handing him off to the U.S. military, who got him to that final leg of safety from Poland to Germany, where he's currently being treated. It was really wonderful to see everybody rowing in the same direction for this goal of doing the right thing. So how do you do that? How, how, how do you coordinate such a thing? You, you just said behind enemy lines, you have the war going on, you have the shelling continuing, you have Russians attacking, Ukrainians fighting back. How, how does someone coordinate and get to someone like Benjamin Hall and, and, and the site where Pierre and Sasha were killed? I have had the easiest and cushiest role in all of this in the safety of my own home, just helping by making phone calls and being on the computer. But the guys that I am so blessed to serve alongside for this mission at Save Our Allies, they are veterans of the special operations and intelligence communities, and they are skilled in precision extraction in hostile environments on five continents. I mean, these are the, this is the A team. And so it's like out of a movie, really. It it, it is, it is. And it's, you know, our ground commander, we call him C spray. That's obviously a moniker. And we, we are so grateful to know that men like him exist who are willing to use their skills and expertise in a very thoughtful way in coordination with this amazing network of multinational efforts, our own U.S. government, our own U.S. military to put this together and be able to be the life-saving difference in the case of Benji. But these guys that I'm so blessed to serve with, I can't say it enough, they embody the send me spirit of going in and and being the difference makers against evil. It's really inspirational. And 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 you guys got a medical team there, right? In a, in for, yes, sir. For the transportation. I mean, to get him out, you, already, you had a medical team there helping to, I assume, stabilize and, 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 and make his trip more comfortable. 
Ben was gravely injured and moving him was a very difficult decision that was weighed considerably because of course, where he was, was not a safe environment for him to remain. But at the same time, there was incredible risk moving him due to where his injuries are located and the severity of those injuries. And so this team at Save Our Allies, our ground team, they made a very thoughtful decision. And we have a lot of medical personnel, former special operations, doctors, and different personnel, including also battlefield trauma surgeons who volunteered, left their cushy homes and lives in suburban America and said, send me. And they went and they served on yet another front line, this time as an all-volunteer force. And so- It's amazing. One of those gentlemen was the one who really hand-walked this process with Benji and stayed in frequent communication with the military doctors who would ultimately receive him on the USG side. And so made sure all of that was just lockstep. And that made the life-saving difference. And you had to work with the Polish military, correct? Because he's got to get out of Ukraine. Absolutely. So really, when I say this was a multinational effort, that can't be stressed enough. This was an example of a public-private partnership, which of course we love between Save Our Allies and the U.S. government and then our allies and friends in the Ukrainian and Polish special operations community, their militaries, their leaders. It was something that everybody came together. We did not let red tape slow it down. Everybody was committed to doing the right thing. So he then gets into a U.S. military medical center. How quickly does this all occur from the time that you guys can get to him to the time that he's given over to the U.S. military for care? It was probably about 24 hours that our team was with Ben and then was able to hand him over and off to the 82nd Airborne and some of America's best fighting forces in Poland that then they were able to spring into action and get him to Germany, at which he's receiving incredible care at the military, the U.S. military hospital there. Sarah Verado's organization went to Ukraine to help Americans stuck in the country. And it has a lot of experience getting people out of a war zone in a short time. Created out of the chaos in Afghanistan last year when U.S. troops pulled out and the Taliban took control. Save Our Allies was formed back in August 2021 when Afghanistan collapsed. And it was me and I'm the wife and caregiver of a catastrophically wounded veteran who suffered life-changing injuries in Afghanistan, along with three of my friends who are just incredible veterans from the special operations intelligence communities. And together, we decided we wanted to ensure we keep this moral obligation we had, not only to our own American citizens that were trapped when we knew the U.S. government was not coming to get them out, but also our combat interpreters. And so Our efforts in Afghanistan led to us evacuating 17,000 people. I did not personally do any rescuing. I was here on (laughs) my computer and on my phone. I understand. All hours. I was working on a 22-7 schedule, as I like to call it. But there was a 10-man ground team, and a lot of those members are now engaged again for us in Ukraine, volunteering to do the right thing. And so our effort with many partners on the ground and great coordination and support that we received from so many different avenues allowed us to evacuate Americans, combat interpreters, and other vulnerable populations. And that work still continues. One of my great friends, Nick Palmashano, 
came back yesterday. He spent the last 48 days in the Middle East still trying to do the right thing for people that are trapped in Afghanistan that have been left behind. Now, Sarah mentioned her husband, Michael, who was badly wounded in Afghanistan in 2010. Her caring for him led to her volunteering for others with a group called the Independence Fund, which provides a wide range of physical and mental health services for injured veterans. It's given 2,600 of them what are called track chairs, which is kind of like a wheelchair meets a tank, all-weather, all-terrain vehicle. Now, she's not just a volunteer anymore. Sarah Verado is now that fund's CEO. You know, when my husband, we met when we were teenagers in high school, and when he went to war, he thought he was going to war and coming home or going to war and not coming home. And he was okay and had peace with either option. Oh, I see. It sounds, you know, it sounds very silly to say this now because of my work in this community, but... I don't think we ever considered a middle ground in which he would come home just so critically injured. And we've existed. His 12th Alive Day is next month. And the state of North Carolina recognizes it as a holiday here because my husband has endured so much. He's been through 120 surgeries post-Afghanistan. He's had very significant and rapid declines the last couple of years. Did you say 100? Did you say, I'm sorry, did you say 120 (laughs) surgeries? Yes, sir. Oh, yes. my. Oh. Uh, and so my heart goes out through, to him he, and you. That That's very difficult. But, you know, what's important to know is that there, there have been some very low times. There have been times where I did not think that he would make it through the day or where the doctors thought we were back on imminent death status or that things were very dire again. And I will tell you, we've had incredible support system. And at the top of that list is I have to, she'll hate that I'm I'm recognizing her this way, but is Jennifer Griffin. She's always been one of the first people busting through those hospital doors to quietly sit at my husband's bedside. And she's been wonderful for my children, for me. And so has so much of our Fox family. And we really do feel part of that Fox family. And so as I know that the Hall family is now looking at a long journey and what comes next, I know that they are also going to be just embraced by Fox and the resources there to make sure that this is as comfortable and seamless as possible, given just how gravely Ben was injured and what is to come both emotionally and physically for this family. I've talked to his wife. I mean, she's a fighter. She's a she's a mother. They've got three little girls and I've, I've been blessed to be in pretty frequent contact with her. And all I keep thinking is that, you know, they're not a military family. No, they right. did not expect this to happen. Sure. And so I am so grateful. And I know I joined the overwhelming majority of Americans to say, I am so grateful for those that are going into harm's way to share real time information and the actual news. And Benji has done an incredible service to his community, to this country. And I know that that family will be honored for it. And they're going to need a lot of love um, over this journey. And I know they're going to receive it. How does someone help with the Independence Fund and how does someone help with Save Our Allies? Well, they to visit the Independence Fund, please, www.independencefund.org. And for Save Our Allies, www.saveourallies.org. So please check them out. They're both great missions, a lot of synergy for people that are serving still in one way or the other who want to do the right thing for the global community. Well, we thank you for everything that you did to uh, help 
and rescue Benjamin Hall, our correspondent, who is a long recovery ahead of him, and for the work you did also to help extract uh, uh, the remains for Pierre Jakszewski and uh, everything you did also. Uh, we really appreciate everything. Sarah Verado, co-founder, Save Our Allies. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. the news now you can with instant updates from fox news for amazon alexa just say alexa play news from fox in fox news it's the latest when you need it on demand from fox news and amazon alexa rate and review the fox news rundown on apple podcasts or wherever you listen it's time for your fox news commentary kt mcfarland what's on your mind Like many people, I've been mesmerized by images coming out of Ukraine. Miles of Russian convoys, Russian missiles deliberately targeting schools and hospitals. Russian troops shooting women, children, and old people whose only crime was queuing up for bread. A brave, articulate Ukrainian hero president leading his army and fellow countrymen to defend against the cruel Russian invaders. I know how I want this to end, but can someone tell me how this is likely to end? America has just fought and lost two wars in part because for 20 years, we never had clear or realistic objectives. It is Ukraine's opinion that matters, of course, not ours, but it's worth thinking this through now. At a certain point, things could escalate, presenting the US and NATO with some difficult decisions we would have to make very, very quickly. What are our goals in the Russia-Ukraine war? Is there anything the US can do now to help achieve them? How can we separate what we might want from what is possible. Is our goal Putin's utter defeat and withdrawal? Putin could not survive politically at home if he brings the troops home in humiliation. Before that happens, he will escalate to weapons of mass destruction, including chemical and even tactical nuclear weapons. Is our goal regime change in Moscow? A pal's coup orchestrated by Putin's inner circle? Well, that's unlikely given his paranoid control of everyone around him. Putin's goal is to do whatever it takes to bring Ukraine to heel. Would we be willing to sit on the sidelines while Putin levels Ukraine like he did Chechnya 15 years ago and bomb Kyiv to smithereens like he did Grozny? If Ukraine becomes a killing field, it would be a stain on the soul of the world. Is our goal a stalemate followed by a negotiated solution where neither side gets everything it wants, but both sides get enough they can live with? What would such an agreement look like? Zelensky now says NATO membership is off the table for Ukraine and even hinted that the fate of the two eastern provinces might be negotiable. Those were Putin's main demands before the invasion. Will they be enough for Putin now? Can he spin that to his own people as a victory and bring his troops home? Or will he demand all of eastern Ukraine? No matter what Putin agrees to now, he'll be back. He will rebuild his military and return for the rest of Ukraine in a few years' time. But a few years would also give Ukraine a unique opportunity to rely on Western investment to rebuild, strengthen its economic and political ties to Europe and North America, and wean itself off Russian energy. What is our role in all of this? President Biden so far has shied away from doing anything that might draw the U.S. into the conflict or give Russia an excuse to escalate. Biden wants a diplomatic solution. But history shows the most effective diplomacy is backed up by a strong economy, a strong military and solid alliances. The best weapon the United States has to stop Putin and help Ukraine 
and the other countries Putin might be eyeing down the road isn't military, it's economic. Unleash the U.S. energy industry. If Biden is willing to end or delay his war on fossil fuels, the U.S. could produce more oil and natural gas. That would drive the energy prices back down to where they were under President Trump. That would cut Putin's export revenues in half. He wouldn't be able to afford a costly occupation or further invasions. Biden's sanctions may punish Putin for invading Ukraine, and that's all well and good. But taking away his piggy bank would prevent him from going to war again. I'm Katie McFarland. I was President Trump's first deputy national security advisor, and I'm a board member of the American Conservative Union. I'm also the author of Revolution, Trump, Washington, and We the People. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. 